Davis. Her season's going to end on a double doink. One. Unbelievable. Attention listeners, are you ready to be blown away? You asked for it and they listen. Our friends at Manscaped just relaunched the ultra smooth package. It's back, baby. Your new favorite tool and compliments a lawnmower 4.0 to keep your boys smooth while looking and feeling their best. This specialized groin shaving kit is here to help you buff, protect, and shave your most sensitive areas. It's time to crop that bush of yours and get right to the roots of the discount for you from Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping using code DOINK. The legends who introduced the electric ball hair trimmer are bringing back the razor so you can set so you can be set and trimmed from front to back. Men, you no longer have to bore your lady's razor for that precise trim. Step one, grab your handy-dandy lawnmower 4.0 and give your boys a classic trim to your liking to get the loose hairs out of the way and then take out the Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package to make your package the perfect package this summer. The, crop, the crop exfoliator infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on around your groin feeling refreshed. The crop exfoliator can help reduce the risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places. The crop gel, see what, see where you're shaving with our unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. With four essential oils, it's like a spa treatment every time you shave. And now it's time to shave the crop shaver. Was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. Three precision blades include extra wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping. You can go doink at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping. Use the code DOINK at manscaped.com. We also want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Not everyone is someone they can lean on and talk to. That's where BetterHelp comes in. With BetterHelp, you have access to over 20,000 professional licensed therapists. It's not a crisis time. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own professional licensed therapist. If you ever search for a counselor in the area, you know it can take weeks or even months just to get a phone call back. With BetterHelp, you can start communicating as little as 48 hours. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. You deserve you deserve to prioritize your mental health this year. So get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash double doing podcast. We want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Today's episode is also sponsored by Coolbet. Coolbet is the most cheering sprint gaming company in the world. Coolbet also provides the best odds in Canada with world-class customer service. For first-time users, use the buzz go doink, D-O-N-K, doink, for a 100% welcome bonus of the $200 when signing up with Coolbet. That's code doink, and Coolbet will match your first deposit up to $200. Give our friends at Coolbet Canada. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Coolbet Canada. Coolbet, stay cool and bet responsibly. And welcome back to another episode of the Double Dwight Podcast. My name is Brendan Deek. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. It will be greatly appreciated. You can also rate the podcast and read the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. It would also be greatly appreciated. We are talking some Green Bay Packers today on the podcast, and I'm very happy to be joined by Andy Herman. He is the owner of the Packaday Podcast and writer-editor for Pack Report. Andy, my man, how are we doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Are you uh, are you a Milwaukee Bucks guy? 
Oh, yeah, very much. I'm actually oh. going to game six. So uh, I will be at game six at the Pfizer Forum. Are you still on a little bit of a high from last night or what? Yeah, very much so. That was absolutely crazy. You know, you hear heart of a champion and, you know, what does that mean? How do you define it? But uh, when you're down Chris Middleton and you're on the road, game five, really probably a pivotal game five, and you're facing a really tough Celtics team and you're down, what, 14 points. It's just like everything's not exactly going your way. Um, and just you really don't have a, a way or an avenue to win that game. And yet you still find a way to win that game. That It was epic. It was incredible. And yes, still very much buzzing from it. Nice. Did you grow up in uh, around the Green Bay area, or? Yeah, basically uh, Green Bay almost my entire life. Cup of coffee in Madison, uh, but still in Wisconsin for the entirety. Went to college in Oshkosh, so been in this uh, about three hour radius my entire life. So gotcha. Well, so it's exciting time, I guess, to be a to be a, a fan. Were you at the parade? I guess last year and stuff. Did you? Indulging all of that. I did not hit the parade. I was at game six of the finals when they actually won and clinched. Oh, okay, so cool. I was definitely there. And uh, that was incredible. Something I'll always remember. So uh, that was my celebration is being there on that yeah. night. So I'm, I'm from Toronto. I'm uh, just 45 minutes from the Toronto area. And when the Raptors won, I went downtown the night they won, not the parade. And I thought that was the better time instead of the parade. Yeah. The night of is definitely uh, the way to go. But anyways, let's uh, let's transition to some Packer talk here. Um, I, I think I was telling you before the episode, I think this is a very interesting team this offseason. They've done a, a bunch of uh, interesting moves, I guess, over the last couple months. Why don't we just start with the draft, Andy? What did you uh, what did you make of the haul that uh, the Green Bay Packers got from the NFL draft? Yeah, I really liked how Brian Gutekinds attacked this. And he's been somebody that's been, um, you know, sort of swings for the fences early in the draft, right? Highly athletic players, usually younger players that have tremendous upside. And for the most part, he's done a really good job of hitting with those picks, you know, specifically Jair Alexander, Rashawn Gary, Eric Stokes this past season. The big question mark remains of his four first first round picks is Jordan Love, right? But all four of those represented high risk, high reward plays. And three of the four, he's seemingly uh, really hit home runs with. So uh, I think any GM would take that more often than not. Well, in the first part of this draft, I, I kind of equated to the same thing. He, I think he took three more home run swings. I think he took uh, a swing with Quay Walker at inside linebacker who has all the potential to be as good of a linebacker as he wants to be in this league. Just didn't have a lot of the production at Georgia, right? But every trait that you would want, every job description that would be, or every you know job that would be within an inside linebacker's job description, Quay Walker can do, whether it be blitzing, spying, covering, you know, tackling, playing sideline to sideline. He can do it all. It's just, can he do it at a high level in the NFL? Devontae Wyatt, same thing. The only thing that was sort of outside of Green Bay's normal realm there was drafting somebody who's 24 years old in the first round, which is not something they generally do. But other than that, again, tremendous athlete. University of Georgia, which we saw with Stokes, which we saw with Quay Walker. So again, very on brand for them there. And again, has the ability to be a penetrating, run-stopping defensive tackle to play perfectly next to Kenny Clark. And Christian Watson, same thing, right? So you have this wide receiver that to me, if every wide receiver in this draft hits their ceiling, I think Christian Watson may end up being the best receiver. And I'm not saying he has the best likelihood of hitting that ceiling. I think that's a major question mark, but it's another home run swing that if Watson hits, he has the size, he has the speed, he has the athletic ability. I love how he attacks corners with that speed. I am you know, I think all three are intriguing high-end plays. And I think he's probably thinking, hey, if I can hit on two of these guys, I'm going to be really in good shape. 
Then in the middle of the draft, attacking it more from like a solid player, you know, getting guys who could all potentially contribute, whether it be a Zach Tom, a Kingsley, and Igbare, a Sean Ryan, those type of players who are guys who p- could potentially contribute. Um, Romeo Dobbs, same thing. And then in the seventh round, getting four guys who you're just looking for something, whether it be a run-stuffing defensive tackle, a special teams player, an offensive tackle who could maybe be a swing guy down the line. I liked how he attacked all three phases of the draft with very specific um, and very different ways, I guess I should say. Romeo, uh, Romeo Dubs is like one of my he was like my draft crush, like the later round receiver draft crush. I watched a lot of Nevada's offense randomly during the draft yeah. process, and they were very fun to watch. I thought they were like the most fun offense I kind of studied throughout the draft process. Um, I want to focus on Christian Watson, though, because I do think this is probably the most polarizing pick, I guess, that the Packers made. So they trade up in the second round and get him. What's the, I guess, the process for him look like over the next few months? Because this is a very raw guy. Doesn't have a lot of, um, I guess, uh, um, like he hasn't ran a lot of like um, the route tree that he's going to want to run in the NFL. Doesn't have a lot of experience that way. What does, I guess, the next couple months look like for him? Because my guess is Aaron Rodgers doesn't show up to minicamp. Is that correct? Like how much work is he going to get with Rodgers before week one? Yeah, it sounds like Rodgers may make a couple appearances here and there on a couple things, but no guarantees. I don't think anything's set in stone yet, but for the most part, it's likely going to be Jordan Love getting the vast majority of the reps. I know from an optics standpoint from the outside, everyone's like, well, they've got Sammy Watkins and Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson and, you know, uh, all these new receivers, et cetera. And you're like, well, Aaron Rodgers got to be there to learn everything with these new receivers. And I, I almost sort of feel the opposite, right? So MVS uh, went out basically went in an interview last year and said in Green Bay, there's two different offenses that you have to learn. You have to learn the Matt LaFleur offense, and then you have to learn the Aaron Rodgers offense and what he does at the line of scrimmage and the checks and everything that he demands and throwing out an audible from four years ago that you may not have even ever heard before. Like there's two different offenses that you basically have to learn. And whether you're a Sammy Watkins or whether you're a Christian Watson, just coming in and trying to master that Matt LaFleur offense first is going to be plenty for all of these players to handle in rookie minicamps and OTAs. I go back to a few years ago when Matt LaFleur first came here. Um, I interviewed a former Wisconsin Badger, Taylor Merritts, um, who played with Matt LaFleur in Tennessee. And I asked him, what is the hardest position to learn in the Matt LaFleur offense? And without hesitation, he said wide receiver. He said they asked him to do so many different things at wide receiver that it's a very difficult position to pick up for Matt LaFleur. So Watson and Dobbs and Sammy Watkins and, you know, Samari Toure and all these different players are going to have everything that they can handle in OTAs, rookie minicamps, minicamps, et cetera, just learning the Matt LaFleur offense, where I actually might think it's a benefit that you're not starting to get Aaron Rodgers in your ear and throwing all these different audibles and everything else. So I think they're going to have a very dedicated period of time where they're learning the LaFleur offense and the way to do things. And then once training camp comes, now you're going to get the crash course and that Aaron Rodgers style as well. So as far as your specific question in Christian Watson, I think for his, I think there's going to be a progression here, right? I don't think anyone's expecting him to come in and be a true number one wide receiver, but Green Bay has some specific needs on offense that I think he can help with. I think first of all, they need a kick returner. That's not offense, but they need a kick returner. I think Watson could potentially help there. Yeah. I think second of all, Matt LaFleur specifically talked about needing a deep threat who could take the top off of a defense, just somebody who has speed that can run a nine route and threaten people deep so that the safety has to stay honest and that it's going to open some things up underneath. Right. They lose MBS. 
Devontae Adams is gone. They need that deep threat. I think Christian Watson and his speed and his ability to threaten deep, even if it's, you know, look, look back at what MBS did in his rookie year, right? MBS was not ready to be a full-time number one overall wide receiver, but a guy with a 4-3-40 you can bring in and at least threaten on a nine route or a post route to take the top off of a defense. I think he can help with that. And then what MBS didn't have as a rookie was this ability to be used as a little bit more of a gadget player, right? I think Christian Watson brings that to the table, whether that's end arounds, reverses, fake jet sweeps, jet sweeps, even handing it off to him in the backfield, lining up in the slot and doing just some quick wide receiver screens. Yeah. I think I think those are things that Watson can help with pretty much immediately while he learns this playbook and learns Aaron Rodgers and learns to become a more nuanced, well-rounded wide receiver. I think there's a path for playing time for him in a variety of ways that he can help just with his skill set from day one. He can almost be uh, what Amari Rogers was supposed to be last year, right? Like some of Watson's best plays and more, more most explosive plays were wide receiver reverses and stuff like that. No, like I feel like he can kind of take that role. Agreed. I, I totally agreed. And I think there's a, there's an avenue where, you know, Amari Rogers can still be used in that role and Christian Watson can be used on the outside again, using that deep speed to his advantage. So I, I don't think, you know, they're necessarily counterfeiting each other. Uh, but yes, if Amari Rogers doesn't turn out, I think you can absolutely use a lot of those gadget plays that, you know, I think Amari was originally penciled in for um, that Watson could potentially do as well. So I think you're just getting a, a player that has some unique traits and some unique skill sets. And if there's any offensive coordinator that I trust to get the most out of those skill sets, I, I trust Matt LaFleur um, and this offensive staff to, to be able to do that. Okay, so I'm going to transition over to the first round picks that the Packers made. So they drafted Devontae Wyatt. 20th overall and Quay Walker 22nd overall. Um, I want to start with Devonte Wyatt. Any concern about his off-field issues or his age? Because I'm kind of an ageist when it comes to the draft. I'm not a, a fan of taking a guy that's 24 years old in the first round. But any concerns on those two uh, those two factors for Devonte Wyatt? Yeah, as far as the off the field, it's probably a bit above my pay grade, right? So, you know, clearly that's something that has to be addressed by the Packers front office and they clearly felt okay with it. Whether they should or shouldn't have will probably remain to be seen. Um, I do know the the charges were thrown out. So again, uh, it's probably an area where I don't, you know, claim myself to be an expert and I, and I try to almost stay away from some of that stuff. No, fair enough, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. To me, sports is like, it's the fun stuff and having to cover that stuff is the worst of it. So yeah, um, yeah. we'll see, you know, I think again, if, if there's any off field concerns moving forward, it's something that Brian Gudikins is going to have to answer for uh, because that was clearly something that was in his background, but I know they brought him in for a visit and clearly they felt good about the person overall. Um, I'm definitely all about second chances. Uh, I, I know people can make mistakes, so we will see what that brings. But like I said, a little bit probably above my pay grade. Um, as far as the other question, the, the age question, I will say this. Brian Gutekunst has shown over and over and over that he values the younger players in the draft, right? Like um, th this is something that you look at every one of their first round picks. They were younger players that have a lot of development in front of them. If this GM of all people felt like, you know what, we're, we're okay with Wyatt being 24, um, I would trust him because, again, they clearly value the younger players, as, as you were sort of alluding to earlier, that you prefer as well. It just means that there's a little bit less probably upside to his game, right? But at the same token, uh, he is an incredibly athletic player that's played at the University of Georgia at a high level. He's shown he can rush the passer. He's shown he can stop the run. Like at some point, if you're a good football player, you're a good football player. And that might mean that 
you know, he's closer to his ceiling than a lot of the other players in this draft. But if the ceiling is already good, are you super concerned about it? Right. So, um, you know, you're looking at a player who's going to get five years, you're going to get him and the, you know, with it, with the first round contract with basically again, a five-year deal with the, the team option in the fifth year, you're getting him ages 24 through 29 yeah. at the prime of his career. Um, and he's already, hopefully if you, if you selected correctly and if you hit, already a good player. Right. So if you get that and then you can make a decision after that, if you want to, you know, re-sign him into his thirties, but I think he's somebody that's going to be able to come in and help Kenny Clark right away, be part of this defensive rotation. And again, I, everything I see on tape leads me to believe that he has the strength, the size, the athleticism, the physicality, the agility to be able to come in and contribute from day one. He's a guy like I would have absolutely loved if he just was 22. Like I don't, right. I don't know how to say it, but like he's gonna be a good, he's gonna be a great player. He is. It's just uh, when it comes to the first round and the Gutenkutz that you, you brought up has never kind of been that guy to kind of go outside the box and maybe take an older guy in the draft. And this kind of transitions into my next question here, another kind of Gutenkutz philosophy question. So they haven't, they didn't really address the linebacker position for years. Like they kind of it was kind of an afterthought, and that's kind of the way analytically driven teams have been over the last few years. And then they signed Devontae Campbell to a big contract, and then they draft Quay Walker in the first round. What change in your mind, Andy, for Gutenkunst to kind of maybe flip his philosophy over the last couple of years? So there's a couple things here, right? So if you look at Brian Gutekunst's overall philosophy, and this even goes back to the, the later stages of the Ted Thompson era as well, where I think you could start to see a, a change in philosophy. Brian Gutekunst and this Packers team values youth. So like 20, 21, 22 year olds, premium position players, quarterback, left tackle, uh, defensive line, edge rusher, corner, and then uh, highly, highly athletic players. So like just freak athletes. Those are usually the three boxes that they check in their first round picks time after time after time after time. And this has gone back for some time now. And as I was looking at this draft and as Green Bay was selecting at picks 22 to 28, I'm looking at premium position players that are highly athletic, that are age 21, 22, or you know, somewhere around there. And there's just not many players that fit that exact description or dynamic. And or like were players that Green Bay specifically needed if, you know, they weren't going to draft another quarterback, nor was there really that person in this draft. Like you started looking and you started very realizing very quickly that all right, either they're going to have to aggressively move up in the draft to go get one of these players that does fit their usual mold or they're going to have to flex on something there because they're not going to not make draft picks. Right. So like they're going to have to take something probably outside of their comfort level a little bit with we just talked about Devontae Wyatt. Right. With Devontae Wyatt, it was specifically the age. He's 24 years old. They had to go outside of their normal threshold a little bit there. With Christian Watson, not they usually prefer somebody that's at a Power 5 conference or has a lot of produ production and productivity. Christian Watson didn't have that. He had everything else that, that you normally look for, but he didn't have that. And with Quay Walker, it was specifically they go with a position that isn't usually considered a premium position player and isn't a position that they've generally valued. Right. So AJ Hawk was really the last time they valued that position, you know, and then the bigger question was, all right, they just finally spent some money and resources in the off season and re-signing Devondre Campbell. Were they really going to, after decades of not, or a decade of not addressing this position, were they going to give Devondre Campbell a bunch of money and spend a premium draft pick at the same position? It was just really hard to believe but they did. And I think the big thing here is I think Green Bay with Joe Barry really wanted to play a lot more nickel defense with two linebackers that he didn't have to take off the field. Mm -hmm. They tried Chris Barnes in that role. They even tried Henry Black as a hybrid safety linebacker. But 
you look at how much Barnes and you know Henry Black played together, you know, you're getting pretty close to about 75% of the snaps. And I think they I think honestly they would have liked to have even played it more if they had that player that they could consistently trust there. So you look at being able to keep Savage and Amos at safety, you know, uh, Razul Douglas, Jair Alexander, and Eric Stokes in that cornerback room. They've got now Wyatt and Kenny Clark on the inside. You've got Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith on the edge. Now, like now all of a sudden you're combining Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell at inside linebacker. You've got 11 guys that you don't need to specifically take off the field and that mm-hmm. you can trust against the run. You can trust against the pass. Whatever teams want to do, you want to play man, you want to play zone, you want to like they can do everything. I think Quay Walker was sort of that last missing piece that they didn't really have a guy that could play next to Campbell or heaven forbid if Devondre Campbell goes down for any period of time, now your defense changes exponentially because you don't have that same level of linebacker. So I think Walker gives them that depth. I think Walker gives them that versatility to stay in nickel defense and not have to take them off the field. Um, and also, by the way, played over 500 special team snaps uh, in college. So if Green Bay wants to use him there, for a special teams that is literally one of the worst of all times, uh, you know, that could potentially help there as well. Yeah. Just from uh just from an outsider, like a non Packers fan or a non guy that's been involved in the organization point of view, I think the Packers did a tremendous job in the first round of the draft. Like I think the board didn't really, I guess, fall their way for the wide receiver. Like look, Traylon Burks was the last receiver taken in the first round at pick 18. So, like, there was no need to reach for a wide receiver. And, yeah. look, taking two standout Georgia defensive players is not a bad process, right? Like, not that's kind of – right? Exactly. Like, that's – I feel like, I think – like, I think Packers fans maybe out the gate might have overreacted. Like, you wanted to receive right away. Like, you were kind of pissed off there. But when you kind of zoom out and take a look at it, I thought they did a tremendous job. And the Christian Watson pick, I think, is going to be kind of the – dictator of this draft right like if he can pop and he's got all the tools to pop and there's no better place for him to become a successful player in the nfl than i think than with the green bay packers so that's the draft i kind of want to transition over to now some kind of team questions here um and i'm gonna go big picture i'm gonna kind of put you on the spot so the Devontae adams trade was about two months ago i think it was like march 17th 18th something like that so about two months away from the Devontae adams trade um knowing what you know now would you still make that trade if you were Gutekunst? Yeah, so I don't think Brian Gutekunst wanted to make that trade, right? So, like, I think a big piece of it was Devontae uh, specifically wanting out, wanting to go to the Raiders and working out a deal with them there. Um, obviously, there was a contract impasse as well. And again, when you have a, a star wide receiver that's about to turn 30 years old that you need to pay a ton of money towards, and he says, I don't want to be here anymore and I want to go to a different team. I think it makes it a bit more challenging by all reports. It sounds like Brian Gutekunst and the Packers made a very aggressive offer as much, if not more than what the Raiders were willing to pay him. And Adams just said, Nope, I want to go play with Derek Carr. So uh, there's a business level of this, right? Where they could have definitely played hardball and definitely said, you know what? Too bad. We're going to franchise tag you. And if you don't want to play with us, you can retire. Uh, but I don't necessarily know that that's the best way to go about things either. I think you can also make an argument that when you have a wide receiver that's, again, nearing age 30 and you have the ability to add a first and a second round pick in exchange for him, not to mention $30 million per season in usable funds that you can go out and get players, which Green Bay has used for sure to get probably Razul Douglas, Jerron Reed, Sammy Watkins, and probably at least a bit of Devondre Campbell's contract as well. Um, you can see that they've already used that money in some capacity to improve this team and improve the depth. And then again, being able to add basically, you know, uh, Quay Walker at pick 22 and then half of Christian Watson, if you will, because they had to give a second round pick to move up to get him. Uh, but you can start seeing 
um, you know, the pieces that they were able to maybe make this a deeper team. Now, if you had to ask me right now, if I could, you know, have Devontae Adams or maybe the, the players that I just mentioned, it, you know, for a season, two seasons, three seasons, it's really hard to pass up on and to me, the best wide receiver in football. Right. So yeah. I think in a vacuum, you can make an argument that Green Bay was never really going to get the return on investment for trading away that type of player. But I, given the situation where Devontae wanted out, he wanted to go to the Raiders, getting back what they could, a first and second round pick, a lot more disposable income, and using it the way that they did. I think Brian Gukins made the best out of the situation, and I, I think he can feel happy about the depth and the overall talent that he was able to add to this team um, by using that trade to his advantage. So a couple more for you. Um, so Jerry Alexander is currently doesn't have a contract. He is a UFA after this season. I'm assuming that he will not hit open market if he, if they don't get a contract negotiated. But Andy, what is kind of the uh, what's taking so long here? Is it something to do with maybe Razul Douglas is signed and they have Eric Stokes on a rookie deal? Why do you think Jerry Alexander still doesn't have a contract extension? Yeah, I think anytime you're probably going to make somebody the highest paid player at the position, um, I think there's just always complications in trying to figure out exactly what that market is, right? Or like what the top of the market is. And um, I think Jair Alexander probably gets paid as the, the top corner in football when he gets his new deal. And again, I think anytime you do that, there, it's just there's nuance to that. I think it's advantageous for Green Bay to get that deal done. They Anytime you pick a, a, a first round pick and he turns out to be an all pro, you don't want to let that player out the door, right? Like you did your job, your scouting department did your job, your coaches have done their job getting him ready. He's now arguably the best cover corner in football. You don't just want to be like, well, see you later now after, you know, four years on the team. So I think it's advantageous for Green Bay to get that deal done, not only for that reason, but also when you consider the fact that if they're able to get a long-term deal done now, it frees up cap space, which they desperately need going into the season just to be able to put their practice squad and sign players throughout the course of the season. So like there's a lot of advantage for Green Bay to get that deal done now. And for Jair Alexander, if the team's willing to make you the highest paid, you know, corner in football, well, guess what? That That is going to be something that you're probably fairly interested in as well. So I just think, again, when you're talking about that type of deal, there's always going to be some level of complication involved and it's going to take the two just putting the finishing touches on that. I'm not saying that that's where they're at right now. I don't know that for sure, but it just seems to me that both of these sides uh, are better off getting that deal done than not. And I think ultimately it does get done. If not, you're looking at probably a franchise tag or a similar situation to Devante where they franchise tag and trade. If really things come to an impasse next off season. Is David Bakhtiari fully healthy? What's going on with him? Yeah, we don't really know. Um, and you know, everyone from the Packers organization seems to be very confident that he's going to be healthy going into the season. Uh, but we heard all last year that he's going to get healthy. He's going to get healthy and he never did. So um, I think there's always a level of concern. Anytime you have an ACL that goes over a year and things just didn't seem right. Uh, but again, the Packers organization seems very confident. It's not like they went out and aggressively got a left tackle in free agency or the draft that would make you go, hmm, you know, I wonder if maybe they're not so confident. So yeah. every every indication is that he's going to be healthy going into the year. But until we see him get through training camp preseason and, and start playing the year, I think there's always going to be some level of trepidation. But so far, things, at least according to the Packers, seem to be trending in the right direction. So their wide receiver room right now, I guess if it, if the season started today, you'd have Christian Watson and Sammy Watkins probably being one two. Do you think that they add a, another wide receiver in free agency? Because the one position I guess right now in free agency that does have talent left and a lot of talent left is wide receiver. Right? So Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, guys like that. Do you think the Packers maybe take a swing on a guy like Odell or Jarvis Landry before the season starts? 
Yeah, you know, if if there was a situation where Julio, OBJ, Jarvis Landry, somebody like that made sense and the, the contract number was right, I don't think Green Bay would necessarily shy away from it. At the same token, I think they're going to get to camp first, uh, training camp specifically, and, and see what they have at this position. You can make a strong argument that they've got, what, almost like eight guys that are arguably roster-level players. Now, yeah. I'm not saying top-level players, but... Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins, Amari Rogers, Romeo Dobbs, Samari Toure, and then maybe even a Malik Taylor or Jawan Winfrey who have been in the conversation and have been on the 53 in the past. Like you've got multiple guys who you at least feel comfortable that are like, you know, 53 man roster eligible guys. So I wouldn't surprise me if they get into camp and say like, all right, let's see what we got here. Let's see if one of these guys steps up. Cause you never know too, if a Dobbs or a Toure or a Watson or somebody's going to blow your socks off. Maybe Amari Rogers takes a huge jump. Maybe Sammy Watkins finds the fountain of youth, right? Or maybe Ellen Lazar just grabs that, you know, the opportunity by the horns and says, you know what, I'm good enough to be the guy in this offense and I'm going to go do that. So uh, to me, they're going to go into camp with those guys first and see what they have, how many guys they feel comfortable with um, on the 53. And if guys step up to be that number one, number two, and I don't think Matt LaFleur is going to have any hesitation of doing a wide receiver by committee either, where you end up with, you know what, we don't have a true number one or a number two, but we've got five or six guys that can do a variety of different things. And we're going to platoon this and we're going to put guys in positions that we know they can succeed in. We've got speed guys. We've got possession guys. We've got slot guys. We've got gadget guys. We've got tall guys. We've got short guys. We've got a little bit of everything. All of none of them may be that number one alpha, but all of them put in the right spots can do what we need to in this offense. So I think that's the direction they're going to go. And if I had to guess, maybe you end up more along the trade deadline. If you really feel like you're missing that guy, maybe OBJ waits until he's fully healthy to go to the highest bidder when he is healthy closer to that time. Or maybe there's a, a again, a wide receiver at the trade deadline that becomes available and Green Bay's like, all right, we want to go in all in and, and make that move. That to me makes more sense than maybe going out and signing the guy right now. But again, if the price point was right, it also wouldn't shock me if Green Bay brought in a player, if, if again, everything just made sense at the right timing. So last question for you, Andy. So Aaron Rodgers, of course, signed a big contract extension this offseason. He is signed until 2026. I want you to put your crystal ball hat on, your your uh, your future telling um, phase on here for me. How long do you expect Aaron Rodgers to be a Green Bay Packer? Yeah, I still think this is going to be somewhat of a year-by-year question and to see if you know he wants to retire. And there's some different you know, triggers in his contract that can do a variety of different things. So um, I still think it's going to be a year by year question, but if I had to say right now, I think he's going to be in a, in green Bay at least two more seasons and it wouldn't surprise me if he played three more years. Um, so I think, you know, either, either two or three more seasons and then probably retirement is probably what we're looking at, but uh, we're at a stage now where, you know, again, look at what Tom Brady's doing. And even when he's retired, now he's back. You know, we saw Brett Favre go through a similar situation where he, you know, comes back and obviously goes to other teams. So nothing at this position surprises me. These are ultra competitive players. When we talk about guys like Favre, Brady, Rogers, and if they want to keep playing and they're one of the best 32 throwers of a football in the world, which they are probably going to be for some time still, like, you know, they can play as long as they want. So I'm going to still say two to three years in Green Bay and then a retirement, but Nothing would shock me at all, whether that means retirement, going to another team, playing longer, playing shorter. Literally everything is in play, but that would be my guess right now. Andy Herman, thank you so much for doing this. Why don't you plug in anything you want the listeners to take a look at before we go? 
Yeah. Make sure to check out pack a day podcast on YouTube, as well as wherever you get your favorite podcasts uh, and uh, check out Packer report as well. But yeah, appreciate you having me on. This was great. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time, man. Appreciate it. Enjoy. I uh, hope the bucks keep going, man. Love it. Can't wait. <laughs>